At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Well, good morning again. For those of you that don't know me, I do see some faces out there I don't know. My name is John Dalkey. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Lapeer. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. This last week was a refreshing time uh, as my family and I were able to get away for spring break to Florida and to enjoy that beautiful weather down there. How many of you guys went to Florida? Let's see it. Yes. See, there's some people that left, right? Not everybody stayed in Michigan, but we, uh, as I drove home yesterday and, and pulled into my driveway, I was like, I'm tempted to pull right back out, but this Michigan weather, man, it's just fooling with me. But we had an awesome time, just uh, refreshed and ready to go this morning. This morning, I want to ask you the question, what is your view of Jesus? When I tell you the name Jesus, when I give you that name, Jesus, when you hear that name, Jesus, who is he? What is your view of Jesus? I think if we ask a lot of different people in the world today, I've, asked, I've talked to many different people of who is Jesus, and I think a lot of answers, a lot of times we, we hear the answer that Jesus was a good person, that he was a great person, that he was long, long ago, he walked on the earth, and, and he was born, and, and he, you know, a lot of people don't know a lot about him, but, but man, he was, he was a guy. He performed miracles. He had some sort of supernatural power, and, and he did some great things. And, and people will give you those answers of Jesus. So others will tell you, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He, he's the one who died on the cross for me and shed his blood, and he rose from the grave, and he's the Savior. He's my Savior. If I asked you who God was, who is God? I think a lot of people answer that question in our world today, and they'll say he's the creator of the world, creator of the universe. He's God, right? Some will answer that question and say, I, I don't think there is a God. There is no God. I don't believe in God, but I believe in Jesus because there's record of it, and Jesus was a man. But I don't believe in God. I don't believe in a God. We'll get all, all different answers, all kinds of answers to these questions, but the way we answer that question the way we respond to that question, it has an impact on our future, right? It has an impact on who we are now, but it also has an eternal impact on us as individuals. See, the thing is that we need a much bigger vision of who Jesus is, of who he is, and, and what he's done. We're in week three of our series called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, where we've been looking at one of the oldest creeds, the Apostles' Creed, and using this creed to affirm the gospel, to affirm and guide us. It's a creed that, that isn't in the Bible. It's not part of the Bible, but it, it's something that we look at to actually guide us to what it means to believe in God, what it means to believe in Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. 
we use it as a guide. In the last couple of weeks, we looked at the first part of the creed and it said this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we're in this series talking about truth. Why does truth matter? As Abe said last week, man, there's a lot of different things out there that are telling us this is true or that's true. Or you can have your own truth or, or there's subjective truth and there's objective truth and there's this truth and there's that truth. And, and what is truth? Why does truth even matter when we look at truth? Today, we're looking at the next section of the creed where it says this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. While we could go to many different texts in the Bible. To kind of affirm this statement, today we're going to look at the Gospel of John. If you've got your Bibles or tablets, turn to John chapter 1. That's where we'll be today. And when looking at our text, we'll see that Jesus shines the light on God. The Jesus shines the light on God. God. I can remember a lot of things as a child, and one of the most fondest memories I have is going to visit some of my family down in Tennessee, and um, my, my great-grandpa Sadler, he had a, a, a house, I would call it a glorified shed, it was like a 12 by 20 house that was in the middle of the mountains, and he would go there, or he basically lived there, and we would go there to visit him, and you actually couldn't even drive back to his house, it was so far back in the mountains, you had to park at this one spot in the road, and then walk down the river, and go all the way back to his house, which was tucked way back in the mountains, and they had this big piece of property back there. And, and I used to think, man, he lived so off the grid. Like he had this little thing built in the river where he had a, a spring that came out of the river. And that's where he would get his water. And then he would store his food in, in these cool places in the cave. And it was like just a really cool experience that I was like, man, my, my great grandpa, he lives. He's crazy. That's how I want to live. A lot of times. But on this piece of property, there was a cave. And it was this huge cave. It was used as a shelter in one of the wars. And it was this huge, huge cave. And I mean, I mean, it's a big one. And we, there was like this little mouth to the cave, right? And I remember as a kid going there and going back to the cave and my great grandpa and my uncles, we would go back there. And even after my grandpa passed, we would go there and visit the property and, and go cave splunking, right? And, and you go through this little mouth of the cave and you would get into this place and it was pitch black. Whoa, it's not pitch black in here. But if you look at this picture, like there's nothing on the screen, right? It was so dark in there that there was almost like there was a blanket, a thick blanket that was heavy over top of you that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And it was so dark in there that your eyes were like, wait a minute, it's, it's an illusion. I, I can't see, I'm blind. Until you turn the flashlight on. And then what do you see? You turn the flashlight on in that cave, and this is not my grandfather's cave, trust me. But there were parts in his cave where I remember going way back in there and turning that light on, and you could see all of these things, this, these miraculous things. There, there's stalagmites and stalag this and that. I don't even know, but they're really cool to look at, right? They're really cool to see, but you don't see them until the light is actually shined on them. 
You just see pitch black darkness. But underneath the darkness, there's this beautiful thing that you could see once you shine the light on the cave, right? We were even driving home uh, yesterday and we were going through. We took the long way around. It was very long. I thought I was beating Atlanta traffic, but I definitely didn't. Um, But I'm stubborn like that. So I went way around and we were in Kentucky somewhere and we were driving by Mammoth Cave and I'm like, we should stop here. You know, I'm thinking this would be a great illustration. I should stop at the cave, but I didn't. And and so I didn't get these pictures. I just stole them off the internet. But it gives you the idea of what it means. Like when you turn the light on in the cave, it reveals all of this stuff, right? These miraculous things. The key question we want to ask today is, how does Jesus shine the light on God? How does Jesus shine the light on God? The text gives us three answers to this question. The first way, if we look in John chapter 1, verse 1, the first way that we see that Jesus shines the light on God is through his relationship with God. That Jesus actually had a relationship with God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we say this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Did you get that? See, we see that Jesus shines the light on God through his relationship with God. Let's start off by looking at verse 1 and 2. In in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, right? First, as we will see later, the Word is Jesus. When he refers to the Word, he's referring to Jesus. The Word was, in the Greek imperfect tense, meaning was continued. The idea is that Jesus was there all along, that he's preexistent, that he was there from start to finish, that he was there before the earth mind-blowing, right? When I start thinking about that, and there's no beginning and no end, I, I just can't fathom it. It's, it's too much for our minds to actually understand. But, but the idea is that Jesus was there. The Word was there. It, it existed eternally. There's never a time that He didn't exist as He's always was continuing. He always was continuing. Additionally, He wasn't just in the beginning, but he was there in the beginning with God, it says. That the word was with God. Literally, the word was continually toward God, meaning the Father and the Son were continually face-to-face in a relationship, in an intimate relationship, equality. That he was there with God. In verse 2, states this very same fact. The final phrase described who was the word or who the word was. It says, and the word was God. This means he was God in every way. In his essence and in his character, he was God. As one writer puts it, the phrase perfectly preserves Jesus' separate identity while also stating that he is God. So we understand that the word, the word, Jesus, was in the beginning, he was with God and he was God. Not only was Jesus eternally existing or existed with God as God, but he's the creator of the universe. You guys all tracking with me? He was the creator of the universe. It says this, all things were made through him and without him 
was not anything made that was made. It says, all things came into being through the word, Jesus. And not anything was made without him. There's a consistent witness to the fact of Christ as the creator through the New Testament. Just one of those passages I'll read for you today where Paul writes in Colossians 1, 16 through 17, he says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We also see this in Hebrews and Revelation and 1 Corinthians. How is it that Jesus created the universe? Where was he? You might ask that question like, wait, wait, where was Jesus in the beginning in Genesis, right? Genesis 1 says that God the Father was there. If we read in verse 1, Genesis 1, it says that God the Father was there. And then what does it say? It says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. So you got God the, whole, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, right? But where was the Son? Where was Jesus? Jesus was the Word of God. He, he was the word of God that was spoken by which everything was created. So every time God said, let there be light or, or let there be this or let there be that or let there be this by his word, he was creating, right? Jesus, the word that created all that we see. And because the word or Jesus Christ shares in deity, he shares in the life of God. As we see in John chapter 5, verse 26, it says this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And sharing in that deity, Jesus, the light of the word, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus shines to all mankind, bringing life. See, several chapters later in John's gospel, Jesus was accused of being possessed by a demon, right? And he was asked this question. He said, "Who is he greater than Abraham? And how does he reply to that question? He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then a couple of chapters later, Jesus was asked if he was the Christ. And how did he reply to that? He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who gives them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then what does he say? I and the Father are one. See, in both of these cases, in both, both of these cases where, where Jesus literally proclaims to be the God, right? He proclaims to be Christ. He proclaims to be God. He proclaims to have deity, right? The, what do the Jews do? They start picking up stones, right? And they're about to stone Jesus. Why? Because in their eyes, this was blasphemy. Like, what are you saying? They, they didn't know him. They, they were like, what are you saying? 
See, Jesus shines the light on God because of his relationship with God. And no matter what we think, no matter what we observe, no matter what our thought is, Scripture clearly shows that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord, the Son of God, and the second person of the Trinity. He was always existed in perfect relationship with the Father. And the thing is, is that he wasn't just a good person. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just this, this, this guy that did great things, right? He didn't start existing when, when God put flesh on him and, and sent him to the, to the earth. That's not when God, or when Jesus started existing. He was there before. Philippians 2 says this, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. My question is, is do you believe this? Jesus shines the light on God through his relationship with God. Do you actually believe this? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Again, the answer that we have to that question has an impact on us now and in our future, in eternity. The second way we see that Jesus shines the light on God is by enlightening everyone who believes in him. And to do so, we're going to jump down to, to verses 9 through 13. It says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In this passage, John starts by using the phrase, true light. He uses the word true in several other places throughout his gospel. He, he says true worshipers. He says true bread, true vine, the true God. And what he's trying to do is help us understand that there's a genuineness to it. There's, there's truth to it, that we can bank on it, that we can believe in it, that it's true. And he stresses the fact that the word was the true light. Later in verse 14, we'll, we'll learn um, how the true light comes into the world. But for now, John tells us that he enlightens everyone, right? In the second part of that verse, he says, which gives light to everyone. He enlightens everyone. The word or Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, shining the light on God. And then in verse 10 and 11, Jesus, the word, was in the world. And what does it say in the world that he himself created? That he himself spoke into existence. He was, he was in the world. And what does it say? That they didn't know him. Not only did they not know him, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. Here is the creator of the world. And, and he's in the world with his creation, with his people, the Jews. And they say, it says that he, they didn't know him. They, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. Man, this is a reminder that we can have all the religion in the world, right? We can have all the religion in the world and still miss the true light of the world. 
that we can think we know a lot about religion and about the Bible, but we can completely miss the true light of the world and think that we have this, this salvation, but we don't have a relationship with the light of the world, Jesus. But what does it say? Not all rejected him. Not everyone missed the true light. Some received him, it says in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, right? To receive him means just what the verse says, that, that they believed in his name because a name stands for a person. And believing in someone's name is believing in the person. Receiving him means receiving his teaching and revelation of God. And then we move on to the word right. It says he gave the right to become children of God. What does he mean by this? In verse 12, the word right is translated both right and power. Throughout the Gospel of John, it shows, um, shows us that, that through the right and the power, Jesus gives that right to us to be children of God. That there's nothing that we can actually do. There's, there's no uh, fleshly thing that we can do to become children of God. It's only through the right and the power, right? It's through the power of Jesus that he gives us that right and the power to become children of God. What does it say in verse 13? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. There's nothing that we could have done but of God. Only through his power are we allowed to become children of God. Man, when we look at the word enlighten, it means to gain a greater knowledge or understanding, to actually understand something more or, or gain knowledge about this. Men, this is typical of us, right? We have a, a package on, on Christmas morning or maybe our wives bring something home or we order something online and we get it and it's in a million pieces. For some reason, that's how they give you things these days. And so they want you to do the work to put it together. And so as men, we just rip the box open, throw everything aside. And what do we do? We just start assembling it, right? And, and we know we're good. We got it, right? And so we build this thing and, and we start putting it all together and we get to the end and there's about 10 or 12 different parts left over. But you know what? It still looks good. And sometimes it just completely falls apart. Sometimes it holds. Who knows, right? But we get to this point and, and we do all this and, and there's all these parts left over and we're all like, what in the world? Like, I think I put it together, to, right? And then our wives reach down and pick up the instructions and they enlighten us. <laughs> they say, let me give you a greater understanding of how it goes together. Let me give you knowledge of how this happens, Right? This is exactly what Jesus does when he comes as the light of the world, shining light on God. He gives us a greater understanding of who God is. He, he shines light on it. He gives us knowledge. He helps us understand who God actually is. See, he's the true light, which brings light to all those who believe and receive him, giving them the power and the right to become children of God. And the thing is, is, this is the truth. It's the incomprehensible truth that God, the creator of all things, would do this. Sometimes I think about that and I'm like, there's no way. Like, man, I can't comprehend this. Like, why would God do this for me? Why would he, why would he do this? This is what compels Paul in Romans 12.1. 
He calls the church to do this, to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is their spiritual worship. The only response that we have when we actually understand what Jesus did for us, the only response that we have when we understand God is that we give our lives to him, right? That we, the, we surrender to him, we, we live our lives for Jesus. It's the only response that we can have, that we present our lives holy and acceptable to God. That's our, it's our worship, it's our spiritual worship. It's what we do out of that. And the same thing is true today. Many still don't receive him. Many still don't receive and they reject him. Additionally, for us believers, this is a reminder that not everyone's going to receive what we have to give them, right? We can share the gospel with people around us. We can live our lives like Jesus wants us to. And there may be people who don't receive it. There may be people who actually reject it. Does that mean we stop doing it? No, rather... Like Jesus, we shine the light on God by enlightening everyone we know with the gospel and allow them to respond with receiving or rejecting. The truth is we live the way Jesus did. We get that picture of who Jesus is and we live that out. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But the third way, looking at verses 14 and 18, we see the third way in which Jesus shines the light on God by physically making God known. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then we skip down to 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the right or at the Father's side. He has made him known. See, verse 14 speaks to verse 9 because it explains how the word came into the world. What does it say? It says, the word became flesh. Now, John doesn't give us an account or a step-by-step process of how this happened, how the word actually became flesh. He doesn't list this out for us. The term used to describe this is incarnation, which literally means to put on flesh to become human. In the incarnation, Jesus' divine nature is married to human nature. See, Jesus is not divine being, uh, who, who, he's not a divine being who, who pretends, right, to be human, nor is Jesus a human who becomes uh, divine. He is fully human and fully divine. It's what we call the hypostatic union of Christ, fully man and fully God. And while John doesn't give us this explanation of how it happens or how the word became flesh, we see this in other gospels where it says in Luke 1, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, which is the last part of our phrase today. And then we look at the phrase where he says, dwelt among us. The Greek word for this means pitched his tent or tabernacle. Literally, he set up shop. He pitched his tent. He's there. It's pointing back to the time when God's presence was in the tabernacle uh, amid the camp of Israel in Exodus. So, so now in the same way God's presence was dwelling among the people of Israel in the tabernacle, the presence of God is dwelling among the people as the incarnate word. And the result is that John and others, what does it say, have seen his glory. 
says this, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So in the same way, it's now present in Jesus, the Word made flesh. It says that no one has ever seen God because He's invisible, right? But Jesus, the Word, has seen God and made Him known when He became human, when He became flesh. In verse 18, He's the only God who is at the Father's side, right? And it echoes verse 1 when it says this, was with God and was God. You ever read a a good book or watched a a great movie and and it comes to the actual climax of that whole entire part and you're like, oh, wow. See, Jesus is the climax of the biblical story. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets. But in these days, or in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Literally, he shines it, he, he lights it up. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus shines the light on God by physically making God known as he's the exact imprint of his nature. Tom Wright tells a story about talking to college students while he was a chaplain. And he says this, for seven years, I was a college chaplain at Worcester College in Oxford. Each year, I used to see the first year uh, graduates individually for a few minutes to welcome them to the college and make a first acquaintance. Most were happy to meet me, but many uh, commented often with a slight embarrassment, you won't be seeing me much. You see, I don't believe in God. I developed a stock response. Oh, that's interesting. Which God is it you don't believe in? This used to surprise them. They mostly regarded the word God as a univocal, um, always meaning the same things. So they would stumble out a few uh, phrases about the God they said they did not believe in. A being who lived up in the sky looking down disapprovingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, sending bad people to hell while allowing good people to share in heaven. Again, I had a stock response for this very common statement of spy-in-the-sky theology. He said, well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. At this point, the undergraduate would look startled, then perhaps a faint look of recognition. It was sometimes rumored that half the college chaplains at Oxford were atheists. He said, no, I would say, I believe in the God I see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. This makes our point clear. The God of the Bible is very different than what culture may tell us, right? The God of the Bible is very different than maybe we see on social media or we see on on TV programs or Christian radio stations or whatever it may look like uh, of how people live that out. The, The God of the Bible sometimes is very different than what culture 
says it is. Rather, the God we believe in is the God who is revealed in and through Jesus of Nazareth. See, the incarnate Jesus has made God known to us, and if we want to know what God looks like, we look at God or Jesus. Man, if we want to know how God would live his life, we look at Jesus. If we want to know how God loved, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what he would act like, we look at Jesus. Everything we want to know about God, we actually just look at Jesus. And where do we see Jesus? We see him in his word, right? We study the word and we look at the life of Jesus. We look at how he lived and we will see God. Jesus defines what he means when we say that we believe in God because Jesus makes God known to us, Jesus makes God visible to us, and we get to see his glory. Man, growing up, even, even now, my mom tells me a lot of times, and other people will tell me that knew my dad, they'll say, man, you look a lot like your dad, or, or you act a lot like your dad, or you react like your dad, or man, you really are your dad. You, you do the th- same things that your dad does. You love the same things that your dad does. People will tell me that. Why, why would they tell me that? Because my dad was my dad, right? He raised me. He, he poured into me. I, and I, I see that in him, and so I mimic it. It's how I was brought up. It's the things that I saw. It's the way I was raised. He poured into me. And so naturally, I'm going to imitate my father. I'm going to do the same things. Than my father did. Man, church, may we be Christians that live, act, love, give, speak, and walk like Jesus did. Because he is God made known for us. He is our father. We imitate him. May we be those type of Christians. So as the band comes, I'll go back to my original question. What's your view of Jesus? Who is he to you? When you hear the name Jesus, when when someone says Jesus, what comes to mind? What do you think about him? Again, the way we answer this question, the way we view Jesus, the way we view God plays a huge part in our eternal salvation. It plays a huge part in in our lives now. It plays a huge part in where we go when we die, right? It has eternal implications on us, the way we view Jesus. For some of you today, man, you you say, I've never even actually placed my faith and trust in, in Christ as my Lord and Savior. Man, I've got all the religion. I understand the Bible. I've been, I grew up in the church and, and I've done all these things and I've done good things and I, I understand religion and, and I understand the word of God and all this stuff, but man, I don't have the true light. I think I do. But do I have religion? Or do I have belief? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Or is he just an acquaintance? Have I rejected him or received him? What is it for you today? Look at Jesus. Man, as he's the incarnate God who who shines the light 
on God as the true light. In a minute, we're going to take communion. As I was studying this week, man, I was just reminded of the God we serve. I was reminded of the salvation that I didn't deserve that God gave me through his son. As I studied who, who Jesus was, and I may have known who Jesus was, right? I, I, I'm a pastor. I should know who Jesus is. But as I, as I started looking at this again, I'm just overwhelmed and filled with the fact that he sent his son to die for me, that, that I was a sinner. I rejected him. I lived the way I wanted to, and yet he pursued me. He wants a relationship with me, and it blows me away sometimes. that he would actually choose me. We're going to celebrate that salvation and reflect on what Christ did on the cross for us. But as we do, I want us to think about something. Communion is a time when we actually remember what Christ did on the cross for us. It's a time where we actually go before him, make sure our life is right. We take our sins before him and repent because we don't take communion unworthily. This is for believers. This is for people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We don't take it lightly. It's for people who have a relationship with God. And so as we do this, man, for you, you might be like, man, I just needed to do business with God and I need to actually just go to him with the sin or go to him and lay my burdens down at the cross before I actually take this communion, putting my full reliance on him. And maybe for you today, it's that you need to have a relationship with Jesus. You say, John, I've got all the religion in the world and I need to actually put my faith and trust in him and him alone. I need to believe I need to understand who Jesus is. I need to understand who God is. I need to have that relationship with him. The Bible says this in Romans. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That I'm no different than you, that that we've all sinned. Everyone in this room has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? But it goes on to say this in Romans 10, 9. It says that if we confess with our mouth, nope, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners he died for us Is it, does that blow you away in that while we were still sinners he died for us he, he pursued us and today he might be pursuing you to give your life to him and it goes on in Romans ten nine. it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's truth. You can bank on that. That you will be saved. And so we're going to have a time of reflection here before we take the elements. And and for you, it might just be bowing your head and saying, God, I confess with my mouth. I'm praying to you, God, I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner, that, that I'm in need of a Savior that I need a relationship with you, that I, that I give you my life. I believe in you. And right there in that moment, he saves you. And you start a relationship with the creator of the universe. Can we take a moment and reflect?
Can we take a moment and pray? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.